And now introducing Mr. Keith Lanton. Good morning. Welcome to uh, today, Monday, July 10th. Hope that everyone had a uh, glorious uh, and wonderful uh, 4th of July celebration. Uh, this morning we are going to uh, kick off the second half of uh, 2023. And as I've uh, previously mentioned, the first half of 2023 uh, went a lot different than uh, many of the uh, market experts uh, had anticipated with a uh, really robust uh, equity market despite uh, significantly higher interest rates and the possibility that the Fed uh, will keep interest rates elevated for longer. Uh, so uh, an interesting backdrop uh, for us as uh, as we begin uh, the second half of uh, 2023, at the end of this week, we will start receiving uh, some earnings reports from the large S&P 500 companies, including uh, some of the uh, big banks, and we'll get some uh, more insights uh, into uh, the U.S. economy, especially the banks, which, uh, as, uh, as uh, those who follow the markets, uh, recognize uh, the financial institutions under a lot of pressure at one point uh, during the first half of the year. So, the big banks will uh, be getting a lot of attention after the uh, failure of Silicon Valley Bank, uh, Credit Suisse, and uh, and Signature Bank uh, had applied uh, a lot of uh, pressure and concern to the health of uh, the U.S. Uh, financial system. So this morning, I'm going to talk about a topic uh, that we've alluded to before, and that is uh, economic data and market reaction to uh, economic data and why perhaps uh, when we uh, get economic data, that uh, the expectation of what will happen may or may not uh, meet uh, what was anticipated before. And that has a lot to do depending on uh, your personal background and how closely you've been following financial markets, uh, perhaps, uh, you know, how much, uh, how much uh, you know, you've studied economics. Um, but nevertheless, uh, talk about why uh, when uh, economic news comes out, like on Thursday of last week, uh, we got a uh, report uh, from uh, ADP about private payrolls, and we had this uh, number, and uh, this number was dramatically higher than expected, and we'll talk about that. Um, so when it comes to economic data and the release of economic data, you can't interpret news in a vacuum. Intuitively, you would think that uh, based on uh, a specific situation, um, that if you were to receive news, for example, that inflation um, was uh, was coming in dramatically lower than expected. So, for example, if we received an inflation report uh, this week, we get the CPI report. If we get a CPI report that shows that inflation is uh, declining uh, or, or or not up as much as expected, it would be logical to assume, given this economic environment, that the markets would react uh, very favorably to that. But you have to understand the context with which we're in. We're in an environment where we are very concerned that inflation is uh, running uh, beyond the Fed's control to rein it in. Um, but if you were to go back to a time period, for example, like uh, 2008, 2009, uh, when we were in the midst of the financial crisis, the concern was the opposite. The concern was that we were seeing too much deflation and inflation was running too low. And if you had an inflation report that showed that uh, that inflation was continuing to run at a lower than expected level, um, or we were seeing deflation, that would be viewed very negatively. Um, whereas today, an inflation report that shows low inflation would be viewed very positively. So you have to take a look at the news within the context 
of what is happening today. So last Thursday, ADP released their private payroll that showed that jobs surged by 497,000. That was well ahead of the 267,000 in May and the 220,000 um, estimate that uh, economists were expecting. And what happened? Well, that was something that was concerning because we're in an environment where uh, adding jobs is something that is uh, perversely viewed as negative if it's too much. Too many new jobs are being created. That's not good news. So what happened? The Dow dropped 366 points. The Nasdaq fell 200, 112 uh, points. Again, logically, investors may scratch their heads and ask, why is great economic news causing markets to fall? It's because investing is also like chess, and you need to understand the current, the current situation, or you could call it the current game, if you'd like, um, and you have to understand the board, uh, the way everything has uh, constructed up until this point. So what the markets were saying to us on Wednesday uh, is that based on the move, and the move here is that, uh, is that we got a release from ADP showing that uh, jobs uh, were a lot stronger than expected, based on that move, the market was saying, hey, there's going to be a counter move, and that counter move is going to be done by the Federal Reserve. So based on this move, uh, the counter move is that the Federal Reserve is going to be more aggressive. So what happened is after the report came out, the probability that the Federal Reserve will raise interest rates at their next meeting, which is July 25th and July 26th, the two-day meeting, um, that the probability is now exceeding 90% that the Federal Reserve will raise the Fed funds rate, also called the terminal rate of interest rates, up to five and a quarter to five and a half percent. Keep in mind as well is that uh, this meeting is really the last meeting of the summer and that we will not get another Fed meeting or more insight from the Fed until the September 19th and September 20th meeting. So currently, for the moment, keep in mind for the moment, things change quickly. Uh, right now, the markets are more worried about the Fed raising rates or over-tightening the economy. Over-tightening means that the, you know, view, view interest rates as a screw that the Fed is turning, and that's where this word over-tightening comes from, that they're making the money supply tighter because they're raising rates. There'll be less money supply, and we're tightening because we're tightening that screwdriver, um, and that the Fed is going to raise rates, tighten that money supply, that's going to slow down uh, people from uh, from borrowing money. Therefore, it'll slow down the economy, and that perhaps the Fed will slow things down too much. This fear or this counter move for the moment exceeds the good news, which is that more people are working, uh, more people are earning money, and more people are spending money. That was the read on Thursday of last week. So therefore, before key economic data, you should ask yourself, what would be in this context, in this chessboard, in this moment, what would be a good move? What would be a good report um, for the next economic data? For example, uh, the CPI, which is expected on Wednesday, or the, uh, or the PPI on Thursday, or perhaps the bank earnings reports on Friday. What would be good? Um, or you can say to yourself, uh, what would not be good? Perhaps not good is too good, or perhaps not good is not good enough. Um, if you set that expectation in your mind, then when you see that release, you can see if your expectation or your understanding of the current uh, situation or the current board is accurate. Perhaps you could also say to yourself, hey, what would be a number that would be what 
has now become known as a Goldilocks number. What would be a really good uh, number uh, that the markets would say, hey, that's not too much, that's not too little, that's exactly what we expect, that's what we think could keep things chugging along at a nice steady rate without having to slam on brakes, without having to accelerate, what would that number look like? And if your ex expectations match the market reaction, then, then perhaps uh, you're starting to, uh, you know, become more in sync with, uh, you know, the, the financial markets and uh, and how how these uh, interactions occur. But you also have to remember there are many layers to data. So, for example, um, when you get things like uh, the employment report, which we got on Friday, um, which showed that uh, that their report that came out from the government was not quite as hot as uh, as as the ADP report. Um, but that report included layers. Um, so you have to take a look at the layers, not just at the headlines sometimes, and you got to look at the subdata. So, for example, when you get things like employment reports, they often come along with other numbers, like how, what are the hourly earnings? How many hours per week are people working? So not only how many people are working, but how many hours are they working? Are they needing to put in extra time? Because if they're needing to put in extra time, even if the jobs report doesn't go up, that perhaps could be indicative of the fact that people are working more hours and perhaps companies are going to need to hire more people going forward. Also, you'll be able to see clues as to what are the, um, what are the average hourly earnings. Um, if you see average hourly earnings creep up, well, that's indicative that in order to get these people working, um, companies got to be paying more money. Um, on the flip side, if more people are working but they're willing to work for less, uh, perhaps, uh, perhaps uh, these jobs, uh, while um, people are finding jobs, uh, perhaps they don't have the same leverage uh, as they did before, and that would be viewed as positive and perhaps indicative of uh, the, the fact that uh, in the future the employment rate uh, may not be as strong as going forward. So, got to look at the data, got to look at the subdata, got to look at uh, the current situation, you got to look at the board, you got to say to yourself, uh, what's the next move after you see a move being played? Uh, you got to examine all of these nuances. And because there are so many nuances and because there are so many different moves and counter moves, um, even if you are a savvy investor, it is always good to be able to bounce your expectations, your thoughts, your ideas, your uh, view of the economy um, against a financial professional or perhaps a trusted confidant, someone who you have uh, confidence in um, and expect uh, to hear very intelligent feedback. Nobody's going to give you what we would call 100% right or 100% correct feedback, um, but as long as the thought process is there um, from someone that you trust uh, and have confidence in, again, uh, you know, 100% accuracy, um, you know, like chess, there's infinite possibilities, 100% accuracy, uh, is uh, is something that uh, is is to be aimed for, but uh, is is not going to be achieved. Um, but in order to uh, think intelligently and to be able to follow the flow, it's critically important to uh, to to have a deep understanding of the entire picture, the entire board, um, so that you can uh, make uh, more intelligent, informed decisions um, about your portfolio and how you are constructing what is appropriate for you, given where you are in your investing journey. So this morning, I'm going to talk a little bit about where we're starting the day, uh, talk about interest rates, and Brad's going to uh, give us his uh, thoughts and insights after a very active week uh, last week, and he'll let us know what he's seeing in, uh, in the bond market and financial markets. 
Um, then we'll talk about Barron's a little bit and uh, what their thoughts are about uh, the market. Uh, they had a, a headline story about Walmart. We'll talk about that. And they also talked about some uh, some values that they see in some pharmaceutical stocks. So this morning, uh, we're seeing S&P futures uh, relatively uh, flat, almost exactly flat, uh, actually, this morning, uh, trading in line with fair value. Um, NASDAQ and Dow are also uh, relatively uh, unchanged. Stock futures market has been mixed. Uh, yet little change following Friday softer than feared uh, uh, employment report. Um, despite that, uh, we did get a uh, slide uh, towards the afternoon on Friday in the mega cap stocks as market participants this morning are waiting to see if there's any follow through from that late selling or if there will be an inclination to buy into weakness. The wait and see mentality comes ahead of the start of uh, earnings reporting season at the end of the week, uh, which we just talked about. Before that, we will get the CPI on Wednesday. On a related note, China CPI uh, came in this morning. It was unchanged year to year. Um, while the PPI contracted for the ninth consecutive month, that's the producer price index, how much producers are paying. Are we back? All right, back. Sorry about that. I uh, touched a button and I uh, disconnected myself. So getting back to where I was, I was talking about the China uh, report, the uh, CPI, which uh, was unchanged, and the PPI, which was uh, down for the ninth straight month. Uh, this morning uh, in the bond market, the two-year note is down four basis points to 490, and the 10-year is uh, unchanged at uh, 404. Uh, this morning, uh, a couple of uh, individual stocks in the news. Uh, NVIDIA uh, up slightly this morning. Goldman Sachs reiterated their buy, raised their price target to 495 from 440. Morgan Stanley with a, a big price raise on uh, Netflix. Uh, they have an equal rating on the stock, but nevertheless raised their uh, price target to 450 from 350. Uh, guess they had to make a move since the stock is at 438. Uh, Tesla this morning, uh, similar story. Jeffries, uh, raising their price target to 265 from 185, maintaining their hold. Um, stocks at 276. So, uh, analysts there, uh, clearly, uh, not, uh, not, 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 uh, getting the, the current market action, uh, accurate. Um, Helen of Troy, which is in the consumer goods space, H-E-L-E is up, uh, over 10% as they beat by 26 cents, and they reaffirmed 2024 guidance. We'll see if that's uh, some indication of what's to come from consumer goods stocks. Uh, overseas, Asian markets uh, mixed. Japan down about half a percent. China up slightly. Um, and in Europe, we're seeing stocks uh, trading in the green up anywhere from uh, one to six-tenths of one percent. In the news, uh, Treasury Secretary Yellen uh, uh, this weekend uh, made a uh, the uh, trip to uh, China to meet with her uh, contemporaries over there. Uh, CBS uh, News in an interview reporting that uh, Treasury Secretary Yellen saying recession risk is, uh, quote, not completely off the table, unquote. Uh, she said her trip to China was successful because it created the opportunity for a deeper set of more frequent contacts between the two nations. CNN reporting that President Biden said in an interview that uh, the Russian war on Ukraine must end before Ukrainian NATO membership can be considered. Um, on Tuesday of this week, uh, the NATO summit will begin Tuesday in Lithuania. Uh, Bloomberg reporting that the Chinese inflation data is adding to stimulation, that weak inflation in China is adding to speculation about stimulus. Uh, over the weekend, the Dutch uh, government uh, coalition collapsed due to a disagreement over immigration policy. Uh, ECB policymaker over the weekend said that the ECB, European Central Bank's peak rate will be reached soon and the inflationary peak has been passed in France. 
And Reuters is reporting that more countries are repatriating their gold reserves. Um, what else is going on this week? Uh, we talked about CPI and PPI. Thursday, we get earnings from uh, Pepsi and Delta Airlines. Uh, Friday, uh, I mentioned the kickoff of uh, earnings seasons from the big banks, Citigroup, J.P. Morgan, and Wells Fargo. And also on Friday, BlackRock and United Healthcare. Uh, University of Michigan on Friday releases its Consumer Sentiment Index for July. Consensus is for a 65.8 reading, slightly higher than June's. So talking about Barron's and earnings, uh, Barron's in the trader column uh, wrote a uh, column entitled, The Second Quarter Earnings Are Coming, What That Means for Stocks. Uh, J.P. Morgan, Wells Fargo, Citigroup uh, reporting. Um, all will provide important clues to the demand of the economy as the economy adjusts to the uh, impact of higher interest rates. Um, coming into this week, uh, the uh, good news was that after the really hot ADP report on Thursday, the uh, BLS, Bureau of Labor Statistics, is Friday's job report. Um, indicated that uh, jobs uh, were uh, slowing somewhat, and the markets uh, took that in stride with a relatively flat day, um, and some are speculating that perhaps the Fed could uh, stop hiking rates soon. Uh, last week, uh, the Dow uh, ended the week down about uh, half a percent, the NASDAQ was down 2%, and the S&P was down 1.2%. The S&P is still up 23% from its low in October, and uh, stocks uh, are expensive as measured by P.E. ratios. The uh, 12-month forward P.E. has climbed to 19.2 from 15 at the start of the rally, driven by hefty gains in some of the biggest technology stocks. Uh, that's a high P.E. considering that uh, and P.E. is price-to-earnings ratio, considering uh, Friday's uh, 4.10 yield on a risk-free 10-year treasury. And the S&P earnings yield is 5.2% based on 12-month forward results. That's only about a one-point spread, um, which uh, is a very narrow spread based on historic norms. Uh, the capitalization-weighted S&P 500 is heavily influenced by the performance of big tech. Um, if some of this year's uh, big winners don't dazzle with their quarterly numbers, uh, that could spell problems for the index. Um, so perhaps uh, you should look at some of the names that have lagged or uh, haven't participated um, if you were to take a look at the S&P 500 equally weighted index, that's a Windex that where each stock has uh, got the exact same uh, weighting. Well, that index uh, is up about 16% from its uh, fall low uh, versus uh, over 30%. And that index is trading uh, for about 15 times expected earnings um, versus 19.2 for the market uh, capitalization weighted S&P 500. In the up and down Wall Street column, um, here uh, Barron's uh, took a cautionary note saying uh, that the uh, red-hot start to this year could mean a rough second half of 2023, um, saying that equity valuations, uh, given those PEs we just talked, perhaps are stretched. Uh, but, but more concerning about the stretch in PEs is that interest rates are on the rise, and uh, they say that this harkens back uh, to a uh, time period when many who are participating in markets may not remember um, to 1987. So we had a huge surge in the first half of this year. Um, we had the Qs, QQQ, rise 38.8%. That is uh, the biggest winning year 
um, in the markets uh, in uh, in e- even exceeding uh, the 90s. Uh, we are up uh, 38.8% in the queues in the 1998, the queues in the first half of the year surged 35%, um, and the queues in the first half of 1995 surged uh, 33.1%. And in those years, it paid to continue to ride the winners. In the second half of 1998, the triple queues went on to a 37% gain. Um, in 1995, uh, the market, uh, not quite as robust, but the second half still had a gain of 7.1%. Uh, and in 1999, after a strong start to that year, um, we saw a 25% uh, increase uh, in the queues in the uh, second half of the year. And then there was 1987, a 33.8% first half gain gave way to a 17.4% decline in the second half of the year, which was highlighted uh, by Black Monday. Um, what separates the past years of super strong equity returns are a distinctly different interest rate backdrops. Yields fell sharply in the second half of 1995 and 1998, and markets continued to rally higher. But what happened in 1987 is interest rates were moving up, something that uh, is uh, rhyming with the current environment. And perhaps that's why the strategists at Strategus uh, suggest uh, at least being mindful of uh, the backdrop of uh, 1987, where we had a very strong uh, start to the uh, technology stocks, uh, the NASDAQ QQQs, um, and then we took a tumble um, in the second half of the year. Some individual stocks highlighted in Barron's. Uh, the cover story of Barron's was entitled, Walmart is quietly growing into a retail tech titan. The stock is a buy. Um, the thesis of this article is that Walmart is a behemoth for sure um, and is competing against a very formidable competitor in Amazon. Uh, but nevertheless, they say that while Walmart moves slowly, uh, Walmart has a history of moving slowly and getting it right. Uh, article starts uh, by discussing uh, Walmart's uh, meticulous uh, efforts uh, to be able to deliver a dozen eggs, flying them over a 30-minute uh, trip, and then dropping those eggs 80 feet from the sky, hitting the target, which is someone's backyard, and not breaking a single egg. This is something that Walmart is currently doing in collaboration with a partnership with uh, DroneUp, where they are flying uh, drones uh, to deliver uh, goods in select markets. Uh, this is still in the test phase, but is actually happening, and they are um, giving an example of how Walmart is learning to deliver goods to folks uh, um, on their front uh, porches or their backyards uh, by drone and being able to deliver these goods without uh, damaging them. Uh, article uh, says that Walmart has a strategic advantage because Walmart um, is uh, literally located uh, in uh, almost uh, the majority of America's backyard. Uh, 90% of Americans live within 10 miles of a Walmart, and uh, 90% of Americans have uh, shopped at Walmart uh, at least once uh, within the past year. Uh, so Walmart uh, is uh, experimenting and working on uh, being able to use these uh, locations as a way of, uh, of uh, not only encouraging you to come into their stores. This is not a story that uh, brick and mortar is, uh, is, uh, is something of the past. Um, but of a company that is uh, learning and has learned over the last uh, 20 years 
how to integrate brick and mortar with internet. Now, speaking of uh, their omni-channel, uh, omni-channel perspective, uh, talking about Walmart, uh, they have certainly uh, grown significantly um, with their online presence. Of course, they've always had a very significant brick and mortar presence. Uh, online sales uh, really being turbocharged and the learning experience taking place during COVID. And since 2020, uh, Walmart's uh, online sales have uh, more than tripled um, in the last uh, three years. Walmart's able to uh, be able to uh, learn and provide these goods and services in this omni-channel environment while not giving up uh, their real secret sauce, which is uh, low prices. So Walmart's uh, uh, negotiating power with suppliers uh, gives it tremendous leverage uh, to not only provide a good experience, um, but to provide a good experience and to uh, be able to provide it at a good price. Uh, Walmart is also uh, growing its online advertising business and third-party mar- marketplace. Um, that uh, that uh, online advertising now, where third-party vendors are paying to uh, advertise in Walmart's uh, on Walmart's uh, marketplace, uh, revenues there uh, now north of three billion dollars. Um, an example of Walmart learning and getting it right, and uh, this is what the, the article suggests Walmart's doing with its omni-channel. Uh, presence. Um, an example here is uh, grocery, uh, where Walmart, when they rolled out grocery in the 1990s, uh, was uh, was mired by uh, issues and restocking issues and not having the right products and services in different markets where customers had different desires for what they uh, preferred to eat. Uh, well, Walmart over the last uh, 10 years uh, was able to uh, uh, really perfect uh, the grocery business. Walmart now uh, accounts for grocery now accounts for 60% of Walmart's sales. Uh, they dwarf the competition in grocery, um, even uh, significantly outselling Amazon. In fact, Walmart has been so successful in grocery that they've overtaken Target um, in their rivals' home turf of the Twin Cities. So, what does this all mean for uh, for earnings and uh, for the stock going forward? Uh, well, analysts feel that uh, Walmart uh, has uh, has made uh, some some significant uh, strides in terms of their ability to roll out the omni-channel concept. And now, what they are starting to see is that the margin decay that took place during the learning process is now uh, mitigating. They're starting to get it right, and as they get it right, and as the learning has uh, has occurred, um, this is going to translate into uh, improved margins going forward. Um, and uh, massive improvements in margins, uh, analysts say, will lead to uh, significant improvements in profitability. Um, and going forward, analysts uh, expect earnings to uh, meaningfully uh, ramp up uh, from 624 next year to 691 in 2025 um, as, uh, as Walmart uh, executes on all of that learning. Finally, one last uh, idea this morning in a space that uh, has not been uh, as uh, robust as technology, and that is uh, biotech and pharmaceuticals. Um, The stocks in this space that have had tremendous success in the most recent rally are those that uh, have had exciting drugs like Eli Lilly. Um, But uh, Barron's saying that while Eli Lilly certainly has uh, some some, some terrific you know, drugs come into market. The stock now trades at 49 times expected earnings for the next 12 months, has rallied 41% in the past 12 months, um, and that perhaps uh, cheap pharma stocks are a better bet. 
Uh, they've been knocked down because they have legacy drugs that are seeing sales declines as their patents expire, and they lose market share to generics. But they say any success in moving their new drug candidates toward approval by the FDA will lift their stocks as the investors anticipate higher earnings. The risk is that the new candidates won't get approval. Therefore, they say the key is to buy a basket of the cheap pharmaceutical companies so that gains in a few of them can offset disappointing performance in others. They list four stocks that trade below P.E. multiples of uh, 13. Uh, those stocks are Bristol-Myers Squibb, symbol BMY, which trades at just under eight times earnings. Uh, they say that uh, the company has uh, billions of dollars of drugs uh, that are coming off patent. Uh, but they say that uh, this uh, patent uh, cliff will be uh, somewhat offset by uh, eight new drugs which are going through uh, trials, uh, which could eventually produce $30 billion of uh, additional revenue going forward. They also talk about Pfizer, PFE, trading at under 11 times earnings. Uh, with COVID-19 waning, the company said its annual vaccine sales will be cut by more than half. Um, but Pfizer has a pipeline of new drugs, such as a meningitis treatment, uh, but it could also rejuvenate its vaccine business by combining a flu and COVID vaccine. Next up, Amgen, trading for under 12 times earnings. Several of its drugs are set to see declining sales of a few billion dollars a year, even as the company tries to increase its $27 billion annual revenue stream. It has obesity drugs in trial phases um, in a market that could uh, be above $30 billion annually. And finally, Gilead, G-I-L-D, trading for less than 11 times earnings, um, has uh, numerous products in decline, uh, but its cancer treatment, uh, Tridelv, um, is expected to grow from about $1 billion this year to uh, almost $3 billion in 2028. Um, it's expected that uh, Gilead will take sales uh, from about $27 billion currently to $30 billion in 2028. Earnings per share should gain about 6% annually as well. So with those thoughts, I will uh, end my commentary and uh, turn it over to uh, Brad to give us some more thoughts and insights. Uh, good morning, Brad. Good morning, Keith. Good morning, everyone. Long time no speak to. I hope everyone had a great week. Uh, the bond market had a, a pretty decent sell-off last week. The 10-year Treasury broke through two technical levels of support. Uh, the first one, 3.86% and 4%. The next stop for the technical uh, resistance is 4.13%, uh, and we'll see what happens this week. Uh, the move from 3.8% to 4.05% was a two-point loss on that issue, or slightly over uh, 2%. Everyone is talking about the Fed and how they're affecting rates. As I've said many times, the Fed controls short-term rates with their current monetary policy. They do have tools to control longer-term rates, but those can be trumped by supply and demand, and the market deciding where they want those longer bonds priced. The reason the bond market is weak here is because of the massive supply of bonds that will have to be issued to pay for the, ra for the raised debt ceiling. The, buyer, the buyers will control that pricing, and they will want a nice concession to take on that risk. So I would assume that the 10-year is certainly going to come better than 4% this week, and 30-year the same. We have a pretty flat yield curve out there. Uh, what I'm watching is if these deals get gobbled up at the higher rates. I want to really know how much uh, demand is out there for bonds, and I believe it is uh, actually a lot of demand at the right price. For instance, last week, the two-year Treasury breached that magic 5% mark for a minute, 
and that issue was bought heavily, and the yield on that two-year uh, rallied from a high of about 5.07% to 4.92% in uh, a matter of a th- about three hours. Uh, the two years currently at about 4.93%. Municipals are still cheap out in the 20-year range. Municipals never rallied with treasuries uh, a few weeks ago, so the sell-off has not really been as severe for municipals. But as usual, the municipal market is sloppy. I am concerned for all markets if longer rates start increase if, if uh, longer rates start inching even higher. I am most concerned about the deeper hole these higher rates will put to the country's balance sheet. In summary, let's watch the success or failures of these treasury auctions this week. Additionally, municipals still look pretty good, but if you buy them, you just have to put them away and clip your coupon because you're getting a decent rate of return and you cannot listen to the noise around you about what's happening in the bond market. As I always suggest, though, watch your credit risk there. I hope everyone has a great week, and I'll turn it back to Keith. Thanks. Thanks, Brad. That's everything I've got. Thank you for listening to Mr. Keith Lantern. This podcast is available on most platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Pandora. For more information, please visit our website at www.heraldlantern.com. Opinions expressed herein are subject to change and not necessarily the opinion of the firm. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. The information presented herein is for informational purposes only and is not intended to provide personal investment advice. It is important that you consider your tolerance for risk and investment goals when making investment decisions. Investing in securities does involve risk and the potential of losing money. The material does not constitute research, investment advice, or trade recommendations.